Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Control Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Praise the sun. Praise the sun. No Jordan this week, just the two of us. Uh, this will be our last podcast before our pre-E3 coverage. That'll start rolling out the week before E3. I'm trying to think of the way the timeline works out. It'll be like the 2nd through the 5th is all of our pre-E3 coverage with all of our guests. Um, look forward to that. Uh, obviously, Jordan will be on that, so he'll be back for those. Uh, in terms of what we've been playing, you want to go first, Dom? Anything of note? Yeah, second row, and I'm done. It's over. Oh, you got the plat? Yes. It is. I, I, I was so deep and so committed to this platinum. I, I had been playing so much of it. Like I was just obsessive about finishing this, and now it's finally done. And that's all I did because I just well I needed a break from like games for a minute here because I <laughs> just I to know. breathe yeah I I yeah I was it was just a lot it got to be a lot at the end um, well the funny thing with uh, obviously I go more for like Xbox completions rather than platinums I've I always feel like it's a like a teeter totter right where it's like you start on the like you know you're sitting on a teeter totter the other side's up in the air and as you're going for the trophies you start going up the teeter totter to try to get to the other side and once you reach the halfway point where the other side starts to come down, you're just full bore committed to it, right? It's just getting right. to that midway point to fully commit because you're there thinking like, oh, do I really should I really be doing this? Should I really be going for the platinum? And then once you pass it and the teeter totter starts dipping down, you're like, I got this, and you just race towards the finish line. It can yeah. be grueling though. I understand where you're coming from. There, you for me, it's it's either I take a full on break like you. Or I play something that's complete palate cleanser, right? So I hop into something that's like the opposite genre or like completely different in tone. Um, yeah, that's the plan, but I didn't even get to that. Like, <laughs> I wanted to get into um, uh, what remains of Edith Finch, or I still have that uh, Neo Alpha sitting around I haven't touched yet that I thought I might mess around with. Um, and now, now, though, Katana Zero is on sale, so I might be going in that direction. We'll see. Oh, yeah, you'd be – because Jordan, Jordan has played it. He, I don't think he's beat it. I obviously played it and beat, uh, beat it. So, then, yeah, you'd be the third one to play through it. I'd be interested to see how you like it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it it's, looks mm-hmm. kind of similar, to be honest, or it has some similarities to Sekiro, I guess. I mean, you're using a katana, I guess. If nothing else, that's one thing. Right, yeah. Um, is there anything else? Movies, Man. TV, anything of note? I don't think so. Okay, so I guess I'll go through everything I've done. Of note, I watched the first episode of HBO's Chernobyl. Ah, oh, nice, nice. Um, I don't know if I'm going to continue watching it. And it's not even because most people are like, oh, it's really depressing. I just found it kind of boring, to be honest. Um, it's weird to me that you have these people with British accents. Uh, it, it just, yeah, it didn't work for me. I don't know if I'll go back and finish it. I think it's only five episodes, but. And it's supposed to be so good, too. Yeah. yeah, I just – it's not that it's not good. I just find it – it's boring. And there's like – you know, it, it's a weird disconnect with like you have all these people – like British actors running around talking about the Chernobyl explosions. So it just feels weird. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think of what I played. Played Magic the Gathering Arena as usual, obviously. Um, with the NBA Finals happening, I've had a, an itch to play some NBA, so I've been playing some of my – Utah Jazz franchise. Um, for those who didn't know, I'm a Utah Jazz fan. I know, weird. I'm like a Chicago Bears fan, Utah Jazz fan. 
My baseball team is the Cubs. It's all over the place. Well, I guess two in Chicago and one in Utah isn't that weird. Um, well, you're kind of in that weird middle USA kind of region. Well, I'm a so state I, with no pro teams. <laughs> well, yeah, doesn't that. have a single pro team, yeah. And so when you look kind of like the states around, it's kind of like you could go in any direction with it, really, I guess. Well, yeah, so I'm a Bears fan because my dad was a Bears fan. And then mm. as as I grew up and I started learning about the NFL, I love the history. And, like, I'm a very defensive-oriented person when it comes to football in general. So, like, two of my favorite teams growing up were the Naturally. Bears and the, and the Ravens. Yeah. So, like, I've loved the Ravens because of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and stuff and obviously the Bears. And then the Utah Jazz, I always liked John, whenever I'd watch basketball highlights, John Stockton and Carl Malone. And then uh, they had a player in the mid-2000s named Andre Kirilenko. He was this Russian basketball player named AK-47. He was a really good player. He did, like, a lot of everything. So he was one of the first players to record uh, – five different stats with ten with double digits so like one more than a quadruple double um he's most infamous in the world for having a a policy with his wife that uh, every year on his birthday he can uh find another woman <laughs> really yeah and that, that gained traction in the news cycles because it was like what the hell obviously he's european um I don't know if that that doesn't mean that all Europeans like to cheat <laughs> once a year, but you know they're a little bit, you know, society societally it's different or whatever. Anyways, back to the point at hand: video games. Went on a huge tangent. Uh, so played NBA. Um, the two new games I played, which I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, finally dipped into Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Uh, part of the palate cleanser after Sekiro. Uh, in the first world, loving it. I, you've seen it before, the upgrade from the original titles. It's yeah. gorgeous. Uh, one thing that a lot of people didn't really talk about is in the original Spyro games, there were all, like, all the dragons, the elder dragons that you would rescue were just, like, color-variant generic dragons, right? Nothing really special about them. With the remake, uh, slash, yeah, I'd say it's a remake, um, they gave all of the dragons distinct personalities they all have their own, like, careers. So, like, some of the dragons are artists and some of the dragons are, like, cooks. And they all have distinct looks. They all have distinct voices. Um, they all have personalities. And it's really cool. Because as a kid playing through the games, that's what you'd imagine, right? Like, oh, all of these guys are so different. You'd make a story in your head based on, like, their name or whatever. And now, seeing that they actually have fully fleshed out personalities, I could imagine buying this game for my kid if I had one. And it's just really cool because they don't have to do all of that hard work with the imagination, right? Um, controls controls the same way. Feels great. Like I said, I'm only maybe 40 hours in. 40, 40 minutes in. Not 40 hours. I'm only 40 hours in. Uh, I'm about 40 minutes in. Their games aren't too long from what I remember. As a kid, when I sucked at playing video games for the most part, I think I could still beat them in a relatively short time. So now... I'd assume they're, I haven't looked it up, but at most, maybe five hours a piece. Um, that's just me speaking off the top of my head. I don't know. Um, you had really no attachment, right, to Crash or Spyro as a kid? No, nothing really no. at all. Yeah. You're, you're what, four years younger than me? Five years younger than me? I don't know. I'm 25 now. Oh, no. I, I don't know why I always thought you and Jordan were way younger than me. You're three years... <laughs> Two and some change because I turned 28 in September. Um, yeah, so two and a little bit of change. So maybe just a little bit out of your age range. But even that, I like Crash and Spyro were like part of my childhood along with Pokemon. So 
playing through these games is really cool. The other, um, and I'll report back on it when I played more. Obviously, I'm very early in. The other game I'm early in on, I have about an hour and maybe 10 minutes, is um, I'm trying to make sure I get the right name because there's two video games that have similar names that I always mess up by accident. It's not the Outer Worlds, it's the Outer Wilds. Oh, yes. Okay. So the yep. Outer I Worlds. Made that mistake. It, yeah, the Outer Worlds is the uh, Obsidian. Obsidian, is that right? Yep. Obsidian RPG that's coming out later this year, which Dom and I, I know we're both excited for. Can't wait to see more about that game. Um, Outer Wilds is a smaller indie game. The reason I'm playing it, it launched on Game Pass. Shout out to Game Pass. We'll talk about that in the quickie news later. Um, it's. Have you seen any preview coverage for this game at all, Dom? Have you heard anything about it? So what I knew going in, right, is that it's a space exploration game. You start on a planet and you explore space. It's not as like it's not trying to be as vast as like a No Man's Sky. It's, it seems like a little a little bit more story driven, um, and you meet characters and you're not a human. You're actually like this weird alien race, which I don't even know the name of. But essentially, the setup is the start of the game. You wake up out of your sleeping bag because you're like in the middle of the woods with one of your friends, and he says it's launch day. Make sure to go get the launch codes from the observatory, and you're it's your first day going out into space, right? So you go through the town, you meet a bunch of people, you get to the observatory, and when you're there, you find a statue of this, they're basically the forgotten race. Almost every sci-fi story has this. It's a race used to occupy this universe, they disappeared suddenly, no one knows what happened to them, um, but you have a lot of their artifacts left over, right? And your race is like, I wouldn't say reptilian, you remember that weird blue frog guy on the motorcycle for the commercials? No. You, no, uh, the Motorola frog guy, uh, crazy frog, crazy frog. Yeah. Exactly. They're kind of like a mix between that and, uh, the Abe's Odyssey green guys, you know, those weird green dudes. Yes. Okay. So like, they're not reptilian, but they're like smooth, weird alien dudes. Um, and the race that you are is blue and the ancient race that disappeared are like these, they look like anthropomorphic. Um, deer or or uh, ox, but they have like three eyes. So they have like two eyes and then one eye in the middle up top. Anyways, you you see one of the statues and your buddy says like, "Oh, it's a really cool statue." I think they're called like the Nami or whatever. And they say if you can find artifacts throughout space to try to figure out what happened to them. Right? It seems like the basis of the game. Anyways, uh, when you're leaving the observatory with the launch codes. The statue actually starts moving and its eyes glow and it looks at you and you see a small thing pop up where it's showing all of your memories of all the experiences you just had leading up to this moment from the moment you started the game. So like if you went in like screwed off and like was like looking through areas that really had no NPCs, you'd see all of that or if you like stayed in a conversation with somebody for a while, it literally played through the entire point from you starting the game to interacting with the statue, right? So it's kind of insinuating that it's capturing your memories, right, to some extent. Hmm. So then you go and you uh, do some training to learn how to do the anti-gravity stuff in your suit. Then you go to your ship and you launch into space. And this is where it's kind of like uh, a little bit open in terms of you can go to any of the planets or moons around you, just whatever one you want to land on. And one of the items you have is uh, it allows you to hear noise in a distance and kind of track it down so you can try to find life on these planets. Some of them are unoccupied. Some of them have other 
astronauts from your world as well and you want to check up on them and see how they're doing so that leads to like some of them missing or them having uh, lost communication that you don't know where they are um, the first planet I, oh, moon I landed on was small and it had a guy there uh, one of your buddies fellow astronauts and he was basically talking about how lonely he is there which is kind of sad it's very tiny moon like very very tiny the second planet I go to there's one of the fellow astronauts but a giant like seed object landed on the planet from a different planet landed on the moon from a planet and he's investigating and it's making like a weird like humming noise so you kind of like talk to him about what the hell is going on what is this on that planet I there's like these geysers uh, and when the water stopped I dove down in it and it I went through like this basically like this guided water chute right it pushed me through I landed in this like underground area with a bunch of the artifacts from that ancient race right and right when I went to go scan them to, to translate them to see what they said I got shot out of the geyser coming down I forgot that I had my anti-gravity suit to kind of like propel myself from landing really hard right this is very important for the next thing I'm going to say I land and I die and then I wake up at the beginning of the game again I don't have to go through all of the launch pad stuff to go get the launch codes but I wake up again, I go and talk to the guy there at the campfire, and it's essentially like a Groundhog's Day thing. You familiar with the movie Groundhog's Day? No. Wow, okay. <laughs> Groundhog's Day is a movie based on uh, a guy who lives the same day over and over again. Okay, that's what I figured. Something yes. To do with that, but okay. So essentially, I've only played about an hour and ten minutes and I got to the point where I respawned and I talked and I was like, what the hell happened? They're like, do you have a bad dream? And when I died, all of my memories popped up from the moment I left to the moment I died. So from what I've inferred from the information I'm getting is that I'm living the same day over and over again because it's my mission to figure out what happened to this ancient race. And contextually... The reason I have all of my memories from before and I'm not just waking up from a bad dream is because it's saving all of my memories in that weird statue, right? So, very interesting. Um, actually, I'm really intrigued to go and find out what is going on on these planets because, like I said, I basically just visited two small moons and then I learned the twist of the game that it's Groundhog's Day and I'm living over the same day again and again and again. Um... And it's not one of the things where you die and then you wake up and it's like, oh, you were asleep for a couple of days. Like, it literally, you wake up and he's like, hey, it's launch day. You ready to go out for your first time? So, I don't know how deep the game's going to be. I don't know how long the game is. Obviously, this is an indie title, but it's interesting. Um, I'm curious to see if the, because I didn't really, it was my first time figuring it out. I didn't know if because I was trying to translate the, the artifact messages in that cave that's what triggered me to get shot away right like it's telling me like to not check them out or if i just it's like a timed thing right right like get in there translate them real quick and then leave before the geyser starts um yeah i'm only an hour in really intrigued to see where it goes um the spaceship stuff is really weird because it's not one of the things, Dom, where you take off from the planet and then when you start arriving at another moon or a planet, it like does an automatic landing sequence. You actually have to change your camera view to the landing camera view 
and land on the planet yourself. And there's like physics, okay. so like you have to yeah. make sure you're tilted the correct way to be able to land on the planet. And there's not a specific landing pad; you could literally land anywhere on that planet. Um, very, it's it's weird, but yeah, it, it sounds it, interesting. I'll say. Yeah, I don't know how long it's gonna hook me though. Like, so if I end up going to another planet and uh, it's kind of barren and empty, and I I die again, or I'm. My big concern is that I don't know how rich the planets are, and I don't know how much is actually in the game, right? Um, because the, the first moon I went on, there was literally like a cabin and a guy, and it looked like a moon. It was like you're on the surface of our real moon. Uh, and it was a very small planet, or moon, sorry. The second moon was a little bit bigger, but it's still kind of barren because it's uninhabited. There was like the guy and that giant seed that hit there, and not much else except for naturally occurring things. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to planets where there are more, like, civilized structures or if it is about me exploring these planets. But once again, I doubt they're going to be as large and as vast as the No Man's Sky stuff. So, interested to see where that goes. Um, yeah, I don't know how much longer I'll play, but uh, it has its hooks in me so far. We'll see how long that goes. Um, I'm just worried that I'm going to play it and then E3 is going to happen and then I'm going to want to play something else that I get hyped for. Like, yeah, there's a know. lot going on right now. Exactly. And then I'm super excited for Super Mario Maker 2 at the end of June. Um, there was something, Cadence of Hyrule apparently is coming out at the end of June too, which is the uh, Crypt of the Necro Dancer, Legend of Zelda. Man, there was console. a rumor that it was going to come out. Literally today, May 30th. But <laughs> yeah. That obviously didn't happen. <laughs> and they switched the date. It was so weird. Um, it was like a placeholder. No, not, not necessarily a placeholder, but it was like in the script. And then they just changed it. They're like, oh, no, it's uh, it's June. It's getting a June. Very weird. I don't know if it's maybe something they just forgot to change in the back end, you know? Or maybe it was so a it's set still, date. It's still not been officially announced, though, right? That's still like rumor That's still the back end code. date. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, another internal delay, Dom. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't think we have much else to say. It's only me and you. Usually, Jordan has a lot more to say than both of us. Uh, I guess I guess I'll point out really quick. I did watch, and I mentioned this to you guys, both the God of War Raising Kratos documentary and yeah. the last watch Game of Thrones like season eight documentary. Um, I I don't know. There, it's both were really interesting. I'm not. I usually don't get into documentaries just as a format but both are really interesting to see the kind of stuff that especially in the game of thrones side like how much production and how like the amount of just sheer fucking shit they had to do to make that all look how it did in the show is it's crazy um the god of war one was really cool and a, a bit uh a bit touching like you can feel like you know when they go to show it at e3 like how intense it is for the team and how much of a relief it is that it was received the way it was and stuff like that. But then then you see all the work you put into it, they put into it. They, it kind of makes you feel bad because that game was obviously really, really well received critically that, I mean, people, other games, you know, have just as much, you know, that work that gets put in, into them that don't get the same kind of reception. Yeah. Um, it just, I don't know. And that's kind of more, more where the Game of Thrones stuff fell, where like after you see how many, you know, how much like this past season just got shit on um it, you kind of feel a little different you know after watching like wow okay they they like all these people literally put just so much work into it not that that entitles you to you know perfect reviews uh, of course but 
don't know. It just it gives you a little perspective, I guess. And they're just really cool. So I'll point both of those. I definitely recommend you know taking a peek at if you were into that game or that show at all. Yeah, I haven't seen the last watch yet. Um, the thing with Game of Thrones, man, is I think uh, I think it's it's really underappreciated because people had so many problems with this last season that they forget like how big of a deal it was that we got the show to begin with, you know? Yeah, and right. the scale of it and like I'm I'm currently watching through Breaking Bad. I'm not trying to compare them in terms of like which is the better show or whatever, but in terms of production it's nowhere Breaking close. Bad, well, no, Breaking Bad doesn't I, – I, it still takes a lot of production, but it's nowhere near the scale of right. a Game yeah. of Thrones production. Not much is. It's... Exactly. And I think people lose the, the sight of that, and they're, they're just like – they're so quick to bash on it and take it for granted. And like you said, it doesn't mean that just because a lot of people put a lot of hard work into it that it's good because of that. But at the same time, it really bothers me when people who don't create things – are so quick to judge and don't understand the work that goes into things. Yeah. Um, There's specific words that I don't like, you know, like lazy. Like if you're going to call them lazy, like that's just verifiably false, right? No one yeah. is lazy. You might not, the writing might not be great or whatever it is, but yeah, I, that you know, there's certain words like that where you're like, you just can't, that's just wrong. And you might not like it. You find other better words to critique though, because that's just not accurate, that kind of thing. Man, the irony of somebody who's calling like the people working on the show lazy and they can't remember the names of characters or like right. it's yeah, it, it flabbergasts me sometimes. I don't and know. So then when you hear like like Kit Harrington came out and said something that sounded harsh initially, like when asked about critics of the last season, he said something along the lines of like they can fuck off or something like that. That sounds harsh, but you kind of you kind of understand it when you're like he knows obviously firsthand how hard everyone works on it so like it, that's just I don't know it's yeah tough, I guess the PlayStation documentary was cool and it, it shed light on some stuff but the same thing with the last watch is uh, whenever you have documentaries which are produced by the company who's doing the thing they yeah. don't tend to be as open as you would want them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the God of War one is really good, and you do get some emotional, just some great moments. But there is some stuff that, you know, because it's PlayStation produced, they kind of, I wouldn't say cut the corners on it, but they make sure to edit out some things that wouldn't come across that great, right. you know? Like, I, you, you can't, you would never be able to convince me that at no point in the development of that game could you find... If you were to actually, you know, be omnipresent and see everything, you would probably be able to find many examples of Corey Barlog or other managers just being straight up assholes and like shitty things going on, and you know, a lot of pressure being put. You know, I mean, you could find. I bet you could see well, shit from like the that top down of like Corey Barlog and them being that way because they're getting pressured by people course, above them, and then it's like it trickles who are pressured down. by stakeholders, etc. Exactly. Whatever yeah. you want to. Nothing against yeah, Corey Barlow. I still think he's a great dude. But when oh, you're yeah. in that environment and there's that type of stress, there's not so pretty moments because it's it's kind of like a part of it, unfortunately. I, all that put aside, I still think it was a great documentary. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's just you that when you when you watch documentaries produced by the people who made the thing that the documentary is on, mm-hmm. you can kind of tell. <laughs> you know, everyone's or worse. Per, yeah, everyone's gonna have a has their own perspective, right? Where then like you get these uh, uh, big pieces from Jason Schreier giving different perspectives on studios, right? Of like, well, he found, you know, the 15 people, maybe a couple or ex-employees or, you know, 
they're going to have their own perspective about certain things where from a different perspective it might be a might appear a different story right or tell a different uh tell a different bit different story i guess so yeah yeah, and I mean the pessimist argument is that for Sony, this is essentially like PR for them, so they want to make sure oh, that yeah. it's not negative in any glaring way, you know? Right. Um, so they walk that fine line, and I guarantee you they have the obviously final say on the final cut of the documentary. Okay. I don't want to end on a negative note, though. That documentary is great. I can't wait to watch the last watch. Um, real unfortunate for Kit Harrington. They, I don't know if you saw the thing that he checked into a a rehabilitation facility uh, recently. Yeah. 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 I actually didn't read into it if it was based on drugs or anything. I don't know if it was just him not being in a great place mentally, but no matter what it is, that's unfortunate. I really can't wait to see what he does after Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, selfishly, I want him in the MCU somehow, some way. I just like <laughs> him. I mean, I would love if a lot of those Game of Thrones actors made their way over to the MCU. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll hop into the news now that we talked about that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Now that our Game of Thrones watch is over. Um, we got a lot of news to go through. We're going to be ending with the Call of Duty Modern Warfare reveal. Um, but we got a lot of stuff that's been announced this week. It's always weird because leading up to E3, it's like nothing, 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 everything. <laughs> you know? It all happens yeah. at once, it seems like. Um, excuse me. Uh, first up, out of nowhere... The PlayStation exclusive, I would call out of the big three, you know, The Last of Us, the game uh, Ghost of Tsushima, and Death Stranding, the one that I personally thought was going to be the last one to come out, and maybe quite a lot of people did, Death Stranding not only got a trailer that showed off gameplay for the first time, it's coming out November 8th, uh, which is uh, six months from release. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because. Out of us three, me, you, and Jordan, I think Jordan's the strongest Metal Gear guy, right? I'm pretty sure you're not super into Metal Gear. Yeah, I've never played any, so. Yeah, and obviously one of Jordan's favorite games is Metal Gear Solid Five, I think. Um, so he'd be the strongest person to talk about this game. We met, talked about in chat after this reveal happened that we're both in the same boat of it's intriguing, but we're both going to be waiting for reviews to see if we're in immediately or not. Um, yeah, it looks, I mean... All the, the cutscene footage we saw and the bits of story, while it's hard to understand, um, it's super like cool and I'm like wanting more and I want to know more about what the heck is going on and what you know this shit means. I'm like super uh, engaged in all that. The gameplay they showed, I was kind of like, huh, all right, we'll see, I guess, because it certainly, from a gameplay perspective, the trailer did not not exactly sell me on it that's wow, all I'll that's, say, i guess that's so you know? funny because i feel the same way so before this trailer happened <laughs> i always talked about i don't know what the hell is going on in this game i just want to know what's going on though it's not obviously there's a lot of confusion and mystery and stuff there is a better understanding of what you're loosely doing in the game right you yeah. play as yep. uh norman reedus and you're trying to connect all the cities in america to create a stronger bond while this all that is happening there's like some weird mystical spiritual demonic stuff happening there's like a, a military separatist group uh and all that stuff's happening there's even like a quarantine group i would consider them right the guys in the yellow suits that's all understandable and like i like the mystery and confusion that's cool i want to know that when i play the game and i'm a hundred percent with you that when i started seeing the gameplay I was actually cooler with the gameplay we saw before of, like, exploring that world, right? And, like, going through I'm like, oh, this is so weird. What is this? 
the moment we saw the actual like melee combat, I was like, that actually doesn't look great to me. I, uh, the melee yeah. combat stuff doesn't look fun. It doesn't look great. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it has a feel to it. Like when the punches right. don't seem like they land. Uh, the motorcycle thing is like give or take. It's whatever. And then the one thing that got me a little worried, I don't know if you remember this section of the trailer, when he's in that war area in, like, the bunker and he's shooting the guy, the shooting mechanics didn't really look really great. It kind of looked like, you know, like Gears of War 1 from today's lens. You know what I mean? Yeah, it didn't look great. And this is all weird because people love the gameplay of Metal, Metal Gear Solid 5, right? That's supposed to be, like, some of the tightest, like, best feeling gameplay around. Um, so it's like, how much did he pull over? And then also Kojima mentioned like, well, this is a stealth game more than anything. It's like, okay, well, there was a lot of, like, they seem to, well, no, he, out. he didn't say it was a stealth game. He said, it's not a stealth game. It's a, oh, not action a adventure. Game. Uh, you can continue on. I'm going to try to pull up the quotes. You can go ahead with that, whatever else you feel about the trailer. Okay. I, I read that wrong. I, I guess I was backwards, but I'll pull it up. Yeah. That's about it. I mean. I still am confident that maybe this was just not a great trailer as far as displaying the gameplay, and just because of Kojima's record, you know, track record on it makes games that play fucking really well, right? Not that I played any of it myself, but um, yeah, this did not sell me on that part of it. Everything else, I'm like, shoot, like this, this is weird and cool, and I'm into it. A lot of questions, of course, but I think that's okay, especially at this point in the marketing cycle. Um, as far as like. I mean, that's kind of where I land, though. It, it, um, it still comes out and not for, like, six more months. So people will get some hands-on time with it, and we'll learn more. And, you know, I guess the, at the point where it can start to get criticized about that is, like, well, they put up pre-orders officially, right? So it's like, well, you're asking us to buy this game. Uh, we don't even really know what it is. Like, okay, the, don't pre-order it then. I, I don't know. I don't really pre-order games hardly ever. Um and if I do, it's from Amazon where it doesn't even charge you until it ships anyway. So pre-ordering in general, I think, is silly. The only thing I pre-order is if it's it's a very specific case. If it's a right. day before the release of a game and that game has a pre-order bonus and exactly. I've seen re- reviews of previews and I'm sold on the – and I'm buying it no matter what, I'm like, okay, I'll pre-order it the day before so I get the pre-order bonus since I already know I'm buying it. I'll never right, pre-order right. a game months in advance. You know, I think that's where you're at too. Yeah. Um, Plus, usually, if you pre-order, if you order or buy physically, like in the weeks after, you'll still get, for most cases that I've seen, you still get the pre-order bonuses because they come as codes in the box. Yeah, and those are shipped, you know, as launch games or whatever. So usually, you still get. I think only like digital is there like a hard cutoff on yeah. some of those bonuses. Uh, one thing I will say too that's off-putting for me, somebody who's not like directly connected with Metal Gear, is I actually think like a lot of the names are not. Uh, are bad like they're they're not <laughs> yeah it's weird right mama and dead man and hard man and it's like i understand people like oh weird. it's quirky and interesting it's like no those are like bad i don't know i'm not i'm not trying to be too harsh I just when i saw this stuff i was like really there's a there's a huge and obviously this is a cultural disconnect but there is a conversation about how hideo kojima's female characters always his female characters in this were named Fragile and Mama. Uh, his female character in MGS5 was Quiet. Which was its own thing, right? Yeah. I mean, that was... They tend to yeah. be a little bit over-sexualized. They tend to be from a bygone era of video games. It's just... Obviously, just because a character's named Fragile doesn't mean they're a fragile character, obviously. 
but it's just a it's a weird thing that's been happening with this game is that um, could be a bad look in 2019. I guess this is the best way to put it. It doesn't really yeah. bother me that much. Uh, I mean, I hate the names in general just because I think they're bad names. It has nothing to do with it being sexist, but um, yeah, it's very weird. Uh, to the to the quote real quick. He tweeted, Death Stranding is not a stealth game. It is a brand new action game with the concept of connection, Strand. I call it Social Strand System or simply Strand Game. Yeah, so whatever the heck that means. Hopefully there's some substance to that that uh, is actually engaging from a gameplay perspective. I, I don't get it, but... I hope that what he's saying makes sense. Well, thema- I love – so thematically on a very oh, yeah. level, I love the whole game is based on America becoming disconnected from one another, which right. kind of parallels what's happening currently, right? Which um, is um, – yeah, I, I love that idea too. Um, that was part of the reason why I loved um, uh, fucking – what's it called? Black Panther too is kind of the some of the same ideas there too, right, of are we – yeah building walls or bridges and the main character's name in the game is literally sam bridges or something silly like <laughs> yeah something on the nose right uh, isolationism yeah. and like separate uh separatists right. and stuff like that yeah exactly um yeah so i guess we're still in the same boat if it gets great reviews i'm really excited um the next part here actually has me a little sad um because i want to play personally i want to play this game more than death stranding uh after death stranding's release date was announced Shire came out and stated that from what he had heard is that The Last of Us Part Two was actually also slated for 2019, um, fall 2019, but it got moved, and it seems like it's likely going to be landing early 2020. He said that February would probably be the likeliest uh, candidate for a month. Um, obviously, all the clickbait, uh, clickbait headlines started happening. Oh, Last of Us Part Two got delayed. Last of Us Part Two got delayed. As we were talking about, you know, internal delays happen. This game never had a hard date, so technically it did get delayed if it was planned for 2019, but we don't know that. Um, and like we were talking about before the show, if we knew about every internal delay, then arguably almost every game uh, that would come out would have would be called delayed, right? Um, because video game development is hard, and though you there's very few studios that can stick to a set release date years in advance. Obviously, as the months draw closer, when you're a year out, you want to kind of nail that in. As we saw in the documentary we talked about earlier, of them trying to nail in a release date and even getting pushed back a little bit later during the year in which it released, uh, they had to move the release date. So, um, I'm excited. Uh, This has me questioning whether or not Ghost of Tsushima will release simultaneously on the PS4 and PS5. Because we have Death Stranding now, right? Uh, November 8th, we have Last of Us Part 2, we assume, based on Jason Trier's report, February 2020, does that mean, what do you think is more likely, Ghost of Tsushima Fall, or Ghost of Tsushima, like, before E3, you know? Probably Fall. Um, What makes this even more interesting, too, is they've already said that PS5 will be backwards compatible. Yeah. Which is different than the last generational transition for Sony. So that that changes the equation a little bit when you're trying to guess, like, what, will these last couple games release on which platforms, right? So I could see them all three releasing on just PS4 and never getting an official release on PS5. Maybe at, they get an update 
because they're already going to work on PS5 no matter what, right? So maybe they just get an update of like, oh, well, now on PS, if you play it on PS5, it gets, you know, it takes it more advantage of the hardware or something. But I don't know that I see either of these games releasing straight up on PS5. You know? Um, I mean, I would if out of those three, I would I would almost guarantee the Last of Us Part Two is going to get a re a remaster edition on PS5. What did they call the Last of Us Part One on PS4 called? I think it was just Last of Us Remastered. Yeah, but to your point, it's like, does Sony just you know put a, an upgrade in there that ups the performance of it? So when you put it in the PS5, or do they know because they can get more money out of people with another sixty dollar release and release it again? Death Stranding, right. Death Stranding is more of a niche title. I know people love Kojima, but I don't know if it's going to be as broadly popular as like a Spider Man or a God of War, right? Last of Us Part Two is going to sell like crazy, obviously. That one is the one that I think is most likely. Ghost of Tsushima is an open world game, so that could possibly hit a, like a wider audience. That one, too, probably being the one closest to PS5 is probably the least likely to get it. Um, yeah, I guess you're right because it could be something in between where they re-release the game on PS5. We'll say for Last of Us, right? And they say, oh, yep, this is a PS5 version. You know, There's more textures, yada, yada. But then maybe if you already owned it on PS4, you're either SOL or maybe there's like a $30 upgrade you can buy to update to the, you know, the the PS5 official version. So Dark Souls 2 did some something very similar to that. Yeah. Which is what gave me the idea where they had their upgraded version. If you already owned it on PC, then um, you could pay a cheaper price basically just to upgrade your version to the remastered edition. I don't or, know. They, or, it could be some combination of this. Or they could launch it near, maybe not near launch, but near the PS5 Pro, right? When the, the, the mid-generation iterative console comes out, the one that's more powerful than the PS5, maybe yeah. that's when they're like, oh, and Last of Us Part Two is getting a full-on remaster, and it'll probably come with something new in it to justify the purchase, like... Uh, right. new chapter in DLC or something. Who knows? I think, especially for Last of Us, though, there has to be... I think there has to be something for PS5 f- to help them sell PS5 when it first comes out, right? More than just, you know, it, it works, it's backwards compatible. I think that will be a title where they want to, like, do something. They'll probably have another, you know, launch area games to emphasize, you know, PS5 is new, it's cool or whatever. But I think Last of Us would be one where they want to, like, have something to help sell that console is like this is more powerful it loads faster whatever the hell else right yeah i mean the, it's the thing that we were talking about with uh and we're not too sure how the playstation backwards compatibility is going to roll out either because remember with xbox they kind of had to go uh game by game with the 360 right, right? right. so we don't have clarification on it obviously there'll probably be a, a good number of first party games at launch but is it going to roll out the way xboxes did and Xbox, yeah. what we talked about, and PlayStation will have a little bit of this too launched when we figure out the details on how their backwards compatibility will happen, is you have built-in value at launch with the purchase of the console because you can play all of your previous generation titles, right? For Xbox, it's all of – well, not all of them, but a lot of them. For PlayStation, how is that going to work for them? Is it going to be – I'm not saying it won't be, but we just don't have any clarification as to are they rolling out on a timed basis is it like a big catalog of games? Um, yeah, because I know Xbox, like Phil Spencer mentioned, that they kind of had to renegotiate all the deals of like, yep. well, we were selling this game on Xbox 360, but we need to 
put in place a new deal for it to be backwards compatible on Xbox One. I would hope, I mean, from the way, what was it, Cerny or whoever the hell was talking about PS5 basically said the biggest reason they wanted it to be backwards compatible was so, like, all your digital titles would just work. Yeah. Especially right on the new console. So it very vaguely, if you really wanted to jump to conclusions and infer, you would be led to believe that that just means everything that's PS4 that you own will just work on PS5, just straight up everything, right? Yeah. But but I I feel like that's trickier than that. I think all the first-party and Sony published titles will work. I almost guarantee that'll be the case, right? right. All the first-party stuff will work automatically. It's how quickly are they getting those re-licensing deals done. I guess, and that's what—that's the other part of it. Maybe maybe that's already been done. Maybe every game that was re- released on PS4 kind of already included that. The clause in how, it, yeah. Exactly, that we also reserve the right to sell this on and, future PlayStation consoles or something. And that's actually a positive for PlayStation in this, for PlayStation gamers, is that I, <clears throat> it's it's different for the Xbox, bringing Xbox and Xbox 360 games up, and then when the new console launches, you have all three generations, whereas with PlayStation, it's just PS4 uh, so you're you're not talking about those older licensing deals, right? They're kind of new-ish. Ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could be from 2014, which is five years ago, but in the grand scheme of things. So I don't think it's going to be as hard as like if it was PS3 games, but we just don't know the rollout, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see what happens there when we get more information. Uh, next up, Need for Speed is set for 2019. Uh, the developers had a blog post on the EA website, and they said they're bypassing E3, um, to focus on delivering the best celebration of Need for Speed's 25th anniversary in their new 2019 entry. I wanted to bring this up. We're not really racing game guys, but the fact of the matter is this is a EA-published game. Uh, Need for Speed is EA's like flagship racing title, and it's coming out in the fall, and it's not going to be at E3. And I like the transparency here from the developer and the fact that EA let them do this of like, I think with this, Dom, people forget how much work goes into a like an E3 presentation or trailer or vertical Definitely. slice, right? It takes away from your active development of a game. And they're just like, hey, we want to focus on actually polishing this game and making it an entry that people love for the 25th anniversary. We didn't want to pull off and take two and a half months to make something for E3, right? So I just thought it was a really cool blog post um, because they could have just gone silent and it could be like, oh, yeah, Need for Speed wasn't at E3. They didn't have to put this out, right? So, I just yeah, thought it was that's cool. one of those. It's always one of those catch twenty twos of like, obviously, you need marketing, and you need trailers, and you need you know E three presentations for games to sell them, but that also takes away from the literal development of the game. So it's kind of a, it's always a, a tough thing, but it's good to hear that, like you said, they're yeah being transparent about it. Uh, a couple of Xbox stuff. Xbox Game Pass is coming to PC. Uh, we'll find out more info at E3. We know that it will be included in the Ultimate Game uh, Ultimate Xbox Ultimate Game Pass, which includes Xbox Live as well as Game Pass. So it'll include the PC version. We're not sure if your console subscription is connected to the PC one or if they're separate. Uh, it's a question people have been asking. We're not sure about that yet. There's been no clarity. We'll probably find that out at E3. Moments before starting the show's recording, Phil Spencer tweeted out that the Xbox E3 2019 briefing will feature 14 Xbox Game Studios games, uh, which is the most ever for Xbox. Really quickly, I try to put something together, put something together to try to figure out how many of those will maybe be new titles. So there's three different categories on this dom. One, there's the actual first party 
Studio games, which are Sea of Thieves, Crackdown 3, Gears 5, Halo Infinite, Wasteland 3, and Minecraft, right? That's six. We're likely going to see uh, Minecraft, Halo, Gears, and Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves already said they're going to be at E3. I listed Crackdown 3, but that's a game I could totally see not being there or being there. It's like in the middle. It's like, are they going to show an update or are they just going to forget about it, you know? Um, and Wasteland 3 is the new game for In Exile, which was one of Microsoft's purchases. Um, it's their, their game that's going to be coming out this year. So, if you don't count Crackdown, 3 is 5, right? So it's 5 out of the 14, so we're down to 9. Even if you do count Crackdown 3, we're down to 8. Still at games. Now, the second tier, We Happy Few in the Outer Worlds. These are weird because... These are games being released or that have released from studios they own, but they're not published by Microsoft. So they're not technically Xbox Game Studios games, yeah. but Xbox owns those studios. You really get so, into the semantics here of what he said. and yeah, <laughs> Exactly. So who's to say if they count or not, right? I think it's likelier that we see the Outer Worlds than We Happy Few, but there may be a new We Happy Few DLC or something, or it may be Compulsion's new game. We don't know. Let's say We Happy Few doesn't count, right? That's Gearbox's game. It doesn't count. We'll count Outer Worlds because we're likely to see that. So we're saying it's seven games. So out of the 14, we know what seven of them are, assumedly. We got seven left. Now there's only two other titles that could possibly fall in this. And these fall into the category, a third category, of games that aren't developed by an Xbox game studio, but they're published by Xbox. Okay? Like so Ori. who's to say if these count? Ori and... Dang it, I just lost my train of thought. Cuphead people? No, not Cuphead. Uh, Ori. Cuphead is, but they likely won't show their game. It was Cuphead, uh, Ori and uh, Battletoads. Ah. Battletoads isn't developed by an in-house studio, but it is a Microsoft-owned IP. So, if we count those two games, say both of those, we can even throw in Cuphead, right? That's down to four. If you don't count Cuphead, it's five. Um, I don't count Cuphead, but... Let's just say we'll count Cuphead. Four. So there's four games that that we don't know about. I doubt we see the Initiatives game because they're so early. One of the games on this list would be Fable 4, hopefully, right, from Playground Games. Uh, one thing to note here, people will say, oh, Jared, you're forgetting Forza Motorsport 8. That comes out this year. Last year's Forza Horizon. When doing research for our pre-E3 podcast, Dom, guess what I found out? Turn 10. Forza? Turn 10 actually announced late last year that there will be no Forza Motorsport game in 2019. Which makes sense because which game is always the flagship launch title for a new Xbox console? Forza oh. Motorsport. So they didn't do one this year because Forza Motorsport 8 will be next year and it will be a launch title for the next Xbox. So we're not getting a new Forza game this year. Um, those games don't have a long timeline between showing them and releasing them. So if it's not coming out this year, we're not seeing it at E3. I'd put m my life savings on that. So, out of the four games, we got Fable 4. What do you think those other three are off the top of your head? I, you don't have to go long on this, but just if there's anything that comes to mind. Halo, right? Or did you mention that? Halo's part of the, the grouping. Okay. okay. I mean, it's new stuff. It's got to be new stuff, right? We're so like here's, here's what people think. People think we might see Ninja Theory's new game. People right. forget that Ninja Theory makes smaller projects. They made uh, uh, Hellblade in, I think, two and a half years or something crazy like that. It, and then I'll add really quick before is like 
all those any of these studios that Microsoft bought could have had things already in, in the oven for a while yep. that were included in you know in that purchase that you know, just because they just bought Microsoft just bought the studio doesn't necessarily mean like well all the projects they might be working on started, started from scratch yeah course. started the moment so, they purchased them yep right there might be stuff ready to go sooner than we think now that would the only place that wouldn't be the case probably like you mentioned is for the initiative because that was a studio kind of built exactly ground up right so. So people are hoping we see Ninja Theory's new game, and the other one that's percolating is people think we might see the return of either Banjo or Conquer. Uh, people forget that Rare has so many employees, and uh, obviously they're working on Sea of Thieves as time goes on, but they have talked about they work on multiple projects at a time, so people are hoping we see one of those. Just It's really cool that they're going to have this on top of... We already know Xbox shows a ton of third-party titles. Last year, they showed 50 games in total, and the pacing was great. It was just a fantastic show, so can't wait for this year. Next up, the initiative, which we just mentioned. I just wanted to mention real quickly, they had some key hires. They hired some people uh, from Naughty Dog, Blur. If if you're familiar with Blur, they were known for doing a lot of the CG trailers between like 2005 and 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, like very, the Witcher one, I believe, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, very well known. Uh, they do movie trailers too, but game trailers, like people know. Uh, they hired ex Treyarch people, obviously Call of Duty studio, um, e- uh, former EA people, but from the uh, computer engineering section, and then people from EA Motive. So they're hiring a lot of people from studios that have done stuff, which is it's just cool because they're keeping to what they said. They're bringing in a team that can make very high quality polished quadruple a games right so seeing all these talented people coming together gets me excited to see what they're working on um this one's for greg miller ghostbusters the video game remaster is launching 2019 good for greg miller and everyone else who loves ghostbusters um (laughs) all 10 of you guys exactly Uh, there's more than that speaking (laughs) of a fandom that's more than 10 people uh square enix finally confirmed that we're going to see marvel's avengers finally and it has a name marvel's avengers as previously under Project Reassemble, I think. Project Avengers Reassemble. Ah, cool. Has an official title, Marvel's Avengers. This is the third game in the Marvel partnership stuff. Um, and they've all started with Marvel's blank. So Marvel's Spider-Man, Marvel's Avengers, and Marvel's Iron Man VR. So it's kind was of the branding even, they want for it. Was it even Marvel's Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> uh, No. No. I don't know if that counted. I think that that licensing deal might have been done before their like new initiative, actually. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but out of, I guess like the bigger games. I guess Iron Man VR isn't big, but you know. Anyways, so uh, people were looking at the E3 EA Coliseum, uh, EA Coliseum, E3 Coliseum thing that Jeff Keighley does, and in it, when they're showing what they're going to be talking about, they li- uh, list descriptions for the games. After it was announced that Marvel's Avengers is going to show up at Square Enix's conference. During the Coliseum thing, they posted a detailed description of the game, giving us details. For a long time, we assumed this was going to be a games-of-service game. With these details, it seems to be confirmed, but um, it basically revealed that it's going to have single-player, up to four-player co-op. Uh, you're going to be able to combine powers to take down enemies. So think of, like, if somebody's if Dom's Iron Man and I'm Cap, he can shoot his beam off of my shield and it reflects and hits enemies. I hope that's the case. That's kind of what it's described as. And lastly, hero customization. Um, me interjecting here, I hope it's that like, hey, you can be Cap, but you can get the Winter Soldier suit or the uh, Nomad suit or like the authentic corny <laughs> Avengers suit, you know, with the 
circle helmet and all of that. Um, with Iron Man, it'd be crazy because he has so many suits, right? Uh, so I'm hoping with hero customization, it isn't just like your power set or like your weapons at hand, but your costume too. I really hope there's a lot of, man, the cosmetic macrotransactions on the thing are going to be insane. Um, yeah, I, I guess we don't have to talk too much about it, Dom, but I'm just happy we got confirmation we're going to see this game. Uh, I don't think it's a, a big title. Deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I'm like 50-50. It could still be 2019, but um, either way, this is, I don't know. This is pretty hype. I think this is a big deal. Like, And because it's Crystal Dynamics doing it, and um, I'm not a crazy fan of like the Tomb Raider games they put out, just uh, narrative-wise. Uh, the first one kind of just like, eh. But it was super fun, and it looked super good, super polished. It's, oof, it, I don't know. This game, this Avengers game, I think, is going to be the real deal. Yeah, and one thing I will say, I'm not trying to give them a pass on the Tomb Raider games, but Tomb Raider doesn't necessarily have... It has a long history in video games, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have like a rich, vibrant lore that you can pull all of this amazing stuff from. A lot of it is very much inspired by like the action adventure movies of like the 70s and 80s, right? Uh, and Indiana Jones and stuff. And obviously partially the new one, partially by Uncharted as well. I, I'm not I'm not saying Tomb Raider's bad or it, does, it can't have a good story. I'm just saying yeah. in terms of working with Tomb Raider or working with... Marvel, exactly. you have a lot the, more to pull yeah. from with Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have a ton of, you just had a whole, you know, however many movie, you know, list, however many freaking MC movie, MCU movies to pull f- bits from. And obviously, you know, decades of source material worth of comics and everything. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot more flexibility. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's, they should have an easier time with the narrative. I agree. My only disappointment will be if this game launches with a roster less than six. That'll really kill me. Like, if it launches with only four different characters, you know? So, here, you can help me out then. When, I mean, the standard, the Avengers, right? Six. Who does that include? That, that, that includes six, so that's what Iron Man, Cap, Hulk, Thor, mm-hmm. Hawkeye, and Black Widow. Okay, Hawkeye is who I always forget. I'm, yeah, okay. everybody does, don't worry. And that's like the MCU standard Avengers. Like, Wasp is technically one of the original Avengers. Uh, yeah, so... That would be interesting. I want to see if they differentiate themselves from the MCU. I, w- I would love if if it's it's a wholly original thing, but it pays reference and homage to the MCU, right? Because I just don't want to play. Right? <laughs> I don't want to play through the MCU again. That's boring to me. You know, I have mm-hmm. the MCU, but I would love stuff if it's inspired by it. And I I, I don't know. I'm just. The whole thing about it is it's set in the same universe as Spider-Man has been cagey. Bill Roseman said some stuff that is kind of alluded to maybe it is. Because they – yeah, I, I'm, I'm just very interested to see how that all shakes out and uh, the character list and we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I, this is exciting and I'm not even a big Avengers fan, but I think this is a big deal. And as far as, yeah, connection like specifically to Spider-Man or other Marvel games because obviously in Spider-Man there was the Avengers Tower. So like – and there were bits of dialogue mentioning like Black Panther and some other yep. things. Um, but you could chalk that up to like, oh, those are just Easter eggs, right? Um, or it could be more. Um, to be honest, I think it would definitely be easier, I would imagine, from a developer's point of view to keep it contained and keep your game as your game in your world and not have to worry about, you know, taking, you know, especially from other studios, you know, connecting things like that. But. That's more ambitious if you were to try to 
do something crazy like that. I don't know. There's a lot here. I mean, and I think people like, I agree with you, but maybe it isn't even that deep. Like what if, which would suck, but I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. So what if uh, Spider-Man isn't allowed to be in this game as a playable character, right? Because of a contract, obviously Sony owns Spider-Man. So it's like, right. uh, Maybe he's not allowed to be in this game as a playable character. Maybe he can make a cameo. If he makes a cameo, I don't think that's that like, they don't have to use... They can hire the same voice actor to do Spider-Man. They don't have to use the same model. They're talented enough to make a Spider-Man model, right? They don't have to necessarily use the same assets. I think it would be right. less crossover than than uh, like what we would worry about. Um, the other thing is this is the biggest property that we'll possibly ever have in the games of service model. Division, you know, Tom Clancy's a pretty big IP, but it's not... Aven- Nothing's really Avengers... Or Marvel, except for Star Wars, you know, like it's crazy. Over the last ten years, Marvel's Avengers has catapulted to that. You know, um, people forget like before the MCU took off, Justice League, for all intents and purposes, was way more popular than the Avengers, um, mm-hmm. and then it skyrocketed and it took off. So, interested to see what happens. It's one of my most anticipated reveals. It has me excited for the Square Enix conference. I was still interested in it because I, I just like video games. I want to watch it, but now I'm like super into it you know can't wait um to note on the square enix conference dying light 2 is going to be published by them so it's probably going to appear at their conference as well the first one was published by warner brothers um this one is actually being uh published by square enix i wonder if it's maybe obviously warner brothers has a ton of money but you'd assume they're publishing cyberpunk right that's going to be a big title we're assuming they're also going to be publishing the next Rocksteady game whenever that comes out. Maybe it was just like they didn't – Dying Light 2 wasn't – maybe their catalog was a little bit more barren, right, when Dying Light was looking for a publisher. And they're like, we'll take this on. This will be a good uh, sales success. But now it's like they probably just are like, nah. Yeah. Square yeah, Enix is a publisher. A one-time deal with the first Dying Light and then that developer found a better deal with Square Enix or something or- it could have been a, a mutual separation of, like, Dying Light maybe right. didn't like working with them or maybe Warner yeah. Bros. didn't see the return. Who knows? Um, Pokemon Sword and Shield Direct. It's happening June 5th, the same day as a weird Destiny 2 reveal event. Um, people who thought that Pokemon was going to be the main attraction of Nintendo's conference don't know Pokemon. They're never the main attraction for a Nintendo conference. They do things on their terms. No Pokemon game has ever been, like, fully showcased at a Direct first. It's always been... Uh, beforehand, right? We'll still see Pokemon Sword and Shield during the Nintendo Direct, but this is going to be the one where they flesh out what's really going on. Um, that being said, earlier this week we had a Pokemon conference, which was a weird pish-posh of business and entertainment, and it was weird. Um, but the two announcements I want to focus on for this, Detective Pikachu follow-up is headed to Switch. It's not sure if this is a sequel or if it's the first game with more story added to it. And Pokemon Home yeah. was... A- is that like, did they? Is this a game or is this a, a show or a movie or what the heck is it? To tell you, Beach is a game. It was on the 3DS. Okay, that's I what did, the movie okay. is based on. Yeah, I the, the never knew that. Yeah, so the, the, the wow, the game doesn't end where the movie ends. It ends on a cliffhanger. So people aren't sure if this fall this thing on Switch is going to be a sequel or if they're just going to be because the movie was so successful in theaters, they're just going to do the ending in the original and then re-release it on Switch. People aren't sure which one it is. Um, they also announced Pokemon Home, which is essentially Pokemon Bank, but it can be accessed from any device. For Pokemon fans, this is huge. This is something we've been wanting for years. 
This allows you to not have your Nintendo console with you, your handheld, and you can trade with your friends, which is really awesome, especially for younger kids. I'm not really into trading Pokemon that much in, in the scene these days, but for kids, it's cool that you could just trade Pokemon with your friends on your phone and you don't have to carry your 3DS. Um, it allows you to save Pokemon through the generations, so you don't have to worry about plugging your GBA into your Game Boy and transferring over your Pokemon to make sure you have the ones from the first generation in the second generation. With the 3DS, they finally added the PokeBank, which allowed it to be a lot more seamless. This is even better. One thing I'm interested in, they didn't announce that there was a price for this. Pokemon Bank was $5 per year, um, which I thought was fine. Uh, I've been paying for the storage or whatever. Um, they didn't mention a price on this. I don't know if this is just a free app, which makes it even better than Pokemon Bank, because then you don't have to pay for it. So, um, I know it doesn't really interest you, Dom, but I think you can see the, the positive news in this, right? For people who've been wanting it, the hassle of you know moving Pokemon from one place to another, it's 2019. Give us a damn phone app that lets us do it whenever we want, right? Well, it's fascinating uh, that, I mean, Pokemon is the most it, the most advanced right now in terms of, like, you know, using, like, the Internet of Things, right, uh, <laughs> as a part of their games and to get people connected from more places. Like, they're, like, further ahead in this is than, than any other developer or publisher or whatever um, as far as they're getting, they're getting you with different devices and things are interacting across those devices and like they're way ahead of everybody else it's kind of fascinating because um this is like this is the kind of thing like where the world is going with in a lot of different regards um this kind of technology you know i'm getting in a bit of a weird tangent but <laughs> they're ahead of the game in a lot of ways and using yeah. things that other video game uh companies are not so it's really fascinating that they're the only ones that kind of really venture out at least successfully into this kind of stuff of yeah you're you have this pokemon I mean, it started with the bank, right? And that was ahead of its time, even even though it was just on 3DS or whatever. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. This is a, kind of a big deal and very uh, forward-thinking um, that they're latching out of this trend ahead of everybody else, I think. Well, and that's funny because it, it shows one of the key separations between the Pokemon company and Nintendo. Like, Nintendo has had a track record of maybe not answering to what fans want, maybe being a little behind in terms of hardware and online infrastructure and pokemon is detached from nintendo and they're like you said they're above and beyond in a lot of ways from a lot of companies so there's a whole sleep thing we didn't mention it's not worth it <laughs> look it up if you want to or pre-order your pokemon I mean, plus plus that especially yeah goes into what i was saying about like i mean somehow they're integrating pokemon into in, you know their network into your sleep, sleep schedule and the a, a, some kind of you know device or whatever they obviously already have like ar stuff going on uh, on your phone and i don't know i think they're like they have like a they're ahead of the game like they have this roadmap and they're thinking weirdly um but in the scope of like uh information technology in the world that's this is kind of the trend it's just they're the only video game company so far to really jump onto that that we've seen well, yeah, and it's eventually going to be one device that is encompasses all of that stuff, and you just carry with you to your Pokeball, right? And it does all of this stuff, and it'll have all of these different things involved in one single thing. Um, yeah, it's. I I just can't wait to see Pokemon Sword and Shield on June fifth. Um, I know people are disappointed; <laughs> it's not the big console thing. We talked about it on the podcast, Dom. I tried to prepare for it. I was like, it's not going to be what people think the first one around. There's no way; it doesn't make sense, right, from their development standpoint. Anyways. Let's hop into the big topic real quick. Call of Duty Modern Warfare reveal. Yes, it's called Modern Warfare. And uh, I'm not as salty as a lot of people are in terms of it being named this way because of what Infinity Ward said about the game. 
Um, so here are the details straight from Call of Duty's mouth. It's releasing October uh, 25th, three weeks after uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Uh, two years in a row, it's releasing in October instead of November, where it was steadily releasing at, which is pretty interesting. That's, that's a good point. That is interesting because I, I remember this now, flashback uh, seven months or whatever, to where, granted, I'm sure Red Dead was it, at least part of the reason they moved it, the release date last year, but it's interesting that they're staying with it this year. Yeah, um, and... I'm trying to think. There, I think there's two big games coming out in November. There's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and I think Death Stranding. and Death Stranding. <laughs> yeah, so there's another another game. Though I, I like I said, I, I think Death, Death Stranding, as whether it's good or bad, is still more of a niche, of a niche title than uh, people. I think it'll it be more of a, uh, I don't know, a Bloodborne more than a God of War. Uh, maybe. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, like a Bloodborne, uh, Detroit Become Human kind of ish range yeah more like a a three four million dollar seller as opposed to a, a 10 million god of war type seller yeah it'll definitely sell yeah, more than days loved. gone like uh yeah. horizons or dawn maybe less than that probably anyways yeah you, I don't know. It's <laughs> so weird. it's it's not a reboot or a remake it's actually more of a reimagining um and this we'll go into this later with some of the characters you see in the reveal but uh, the for, former Naughty Dog devs who worked on Uncharted are leading the campaign development. And uh, one of the quotes they said was, uh, we're looking for Jaws, not Saw. And basically what they meant by that is they want uh, a lot of high-intensity action scenes, but they don't really want to rely just on gore and, and like violence, right? As you would see in a Saw movie, which I thought was really interesting. Well, they clearly missed like the great writing and mystery plot of the first two Saw movies, but whatever. Yeah, but they're talking more about the gore <laughs> porn of it, right? Yeah. Of, like, just the blood and all that. Um, so it's going to have cross-play support and co-op gameplay. The cross-play support, uh, obviously, between uh, hardware, uh, PlayStation 4, and uh, Xbox One. I didn't read if it was also PC, Dom. Did you catch that by chance? The cross-play? Yeah. I thought it was the opposite, where they it was really only confirmed console to PC. Gotcha, okay. Uh, and... It was kind of – no one really knows whether PS4 you'll be to PS4 Xbox. to Xbox. Um, Got it. Okay. Because Sony obviously hasn't really been uh, too eager to do that thing. Uh, the co-op gameplay, there was a game mode that they talked about, which is kind of like – man, I can't remember the game mode in the old Modern Warfare games. Spec Ops? Spec Ops? Special Ops? Same thing. Uh, the co-op – there's going to be co-op gameplay in the uh, multiplayer and in some game modes as well. Uh, new, brand new engine. Um, also, one of the interesting things, it's going to have mocap actors, so it's actually uh, full-on actor capture, um, and that's different from previous Call of Duty games, uh, especially for Modern Warfare specifically, where it's you make a character model, uh, you um, have a different actor record voice lines, and then you match those two things up. Very rarely do Call of Duty games actually have full-on actors mo-capped and cap performance captured. The only time that ever happens when it's the Kevin Spacey's or the Kit Harringtons of the world. This one, like, almost every character in this game, a major characters obviously, are going to have that. So they cast actors. There's an actor who's Captain Price. And that's the other thing. Captain Price was in this trailer. 
Uh, an actor who strangely looks like Captain Price originally did, but slightly different because it's actually capturing the look of the actor himself. Uh, and me inferring this, it'll probably feature other Modern Warfare characters that we're uh, familiar with. Soap McTavish, obviously. Gaz. Uh, McMillan, who's uh, the guy who's uh, your partner in All Gillied Up, if you remember him. He's the sniper. Um, a lot of the characters from that first game... Um, Maybe the second game, who knows, but it seems like like uh, they told a reimagining of the first Modern Warfare. Uh, you'll be playing missions from opposing perspectives, and I think this is goes in line right down with Infinity Ward wanting to reimagine the first game um, because it was very pro-American in its warfare, and it was very pro-our uh, perspective. And I think now in the current age of war and military violence, it's... There's a lot of different perspectives and you need to understand where everyone's coming from and a lot of times war is fought between gray area, right? It's not necessarily wholly good and wholly evil fighting against each other. So um, I think it's just – it's if they pay this off with what they want to do and, and I want to get to this after we're done with all the details, I'm really interested because it's going to show a commitment to tell a strong narrative in a Call of Duty game and I've liked – their single player before, but this could be something really special. Um, in the previews, uh, Brandon Jones from Easy Allies mentioned Chadwick Boseman is the lead in this game. He's pretty much the only person who previewed it, uh, who went to the preview that mentioned this. That's a big actor. Uh, it's going to draw in a lot of people. Uh, obviously, Black Panther himself, who Don mentioned earlier. And uh, he talked about a mission in which it's kind of like survival horror -y. You're a little kid. Your house gets invaded by uh, the Russian military or some, like, um, terrorists, essentially. And the mission is you hiding between walls in the house trying to take down the soldier with a screwdriver. And it's like you – it's like hit-and-run tactics. And it's very tense and it's very um, – emotionally engaging because you fear for this child's life there's another uh i think the mission ends or a different mission involves like a kid picking up a gun so they're very they're they're very much trying to get these disturbing images that we kind of gloss over when we think about war and put them right in your face um it reminds me a lot of what's the name of the mission from mw2 dom with the terminal no russian no russian right that's very captivating in terms of well, like what else Jesus. it sounds a lot like is, uh, as you mentioned, they have some people from Naughty Dog. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like something that could have been pulled right out of The Last of Us just in a modern warfare exactly. setting, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And them leading the campaign development is really exciting. Last thing I want to mention before we talk about are we excited for this game um, and all of that and this reveal and how it went. Uh, no season pass, and there will be free post-launch content, maps, and other uh, goodies. Um, and you obviously joked in our chat. You're like, this seems too good to be true. What's the catch? Uh, will I they just, release, uh, you know, the microtransactions two weeks after launch? I got burned. I mean, not, I'm okay, <laughs> but whatever. But when Battlefront 2 was first announced and they said, you know, free DLC, you know, no season pass. Like, oh, fuck. Like, that's awesome. Like, all three eras of Star Wars or whatever, no season uh, And then, obviously, it came out and it just... Brutal loot boxes that could help you win, yada, yada. We all know the whole story there. Um, and Call of Duty, and I think you've mentioned this a few times, they've been pretty bad about microtransactions the last few games, and they've not gotten as much attention as EA and some other uh, developers have. And I think at least once 
they did that where they've introduced microtransactions a week or two after release, after reviews are out. Yeah. Um, would, oh man, it's slimy. So I just, I just don't trust that there won't be some shady shit going on in there still. The crazy thing is this: this is a Call of Duty that I might see as uh, a Doom or a Last of Us in the sense of. I'm buying it solely for the single-player campaign and the multiplayer's extra. So if it ends up having crummy microtransactions, that won't affect me as much because I'm more focused on the single-player. Do I want it to have a really cool multiplayer that doesn't screw you? Yes. But with the more we see of this game and potentially how well it reviews, this might be a game that I'm like, I'm getting that single-player Call of Duty game that happens to have multiplayer on it in my mind, you know? Oh, dude, I'm I'm 100. Like, if they were going to... If there's anything, maybe one out of a hundred things they could do to get me personally interested in this game, they did it. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm 100% on board. Like the the emphasis they're putting on the campaign and yeah, bringing in you know our naughty dog friends um, and yeah, doing mocap like all and like the the kind of different kind of story they're telling. Like ah, this is all like hell yeah, like let's go. I'm in 100%. I'm not as worried about any microtransaction stuff either. Um, plus let's remember like it was like a week or two ago who knows what will end up happening but in the united states there was like a bill introduced to like essentially outlaw you know pay to win and loot boxes etc etc in games that the companies know kids are playing exactly weird which is weird phrasing because the game will be rated m but if they know kids are playing it which of course they are that's a whole nother conversation but hopefully that at least leads to some self-regulating and companies being a little more conscious of the types of microtransactions they're putting in games as well as this one. To your point in terms of purchasing, if this game, there's three different situations that can happen, right? Well, I guess there's more than that, but the three situations I see is this game during reviews, reviews very well, right? Both multiplayer, single player. Great. That's the best case scenario. I'm in. Second case scenario, I'd also be in. The campaign reviews very well. The multiplayer is full of microtransactions or it's not good or it's whatever. I'm still in, right? I'm with you, yep. Third thing, multiplayer is great. Single player is not good. I'm out. Fourth thing, it's all not great. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, naturally. So as long as the campaign is is not like a bomb and it's good, I don't care really about the multiplayer. I'm in because, like you, we have this attachment to Modern Warfare, and they got us. <laughs> they got us. So and it looks good. Like yeah, this new engine. I think it's more than just you know dev marketing speak. Like that, what they showed looked impressive graphically. So this this looks like the first step towards next gen for Call of Duty. So. Yeah, definitely. Very interested. Uh, can't wait to hear more. They said we'll see more at the E3 Coliseum. Um, you need to go read the description on that. Maybe they leak some details uh, about it. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty much it for this week's episode of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. Like I said, next week we're not going to have an, a traditional episode. We're going to be having our pre-E3 podcast going up, starting with Ubisoft and ending with Xbox. So we have four of them. We're going to be doing Ubisoft, uh, Nintendo, EA, EA, Ubisoft, Nintendo, Bethesda, and Xbox with all of our guests. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys dig that. Uh, Jordan will be on those. Obviously, Dom will be on it. I will and our guests. Uh, in terms of what we're going to be playing, I'm going to continue with Outer Wilds, see how wacky it gets with Groundhog's Day uh, style gameplay. Going to play some more Spyro and uh, also Wargroove. I didn't have a chance to get back into that. I'm I'm really interested to see if I hit that wall that Jordan did and how I feel about the damage being tied to uh, health. What about you, Dom? 
uh, I don't know yet. It's going to be either Edith Finch, Katana Zero, or Neo 2. Oh, yeah, the Alpha. alpha. Is it <laughs> timed or is it like there's X amount of ga- game in it, right? Is it like a section of the game or is it? I think, oh, that, I'm not sure of it. I want to say it's at like two levels and then it's only until a certain date. But it's it's not like you have X amount of gameplay time, right? It's not that. I don't believe so. I think it's just like you get two missions or something. I could be wrong. Interesting. Um, I watched gameplay for the first Neo and it just didn't do it for me necessarily. Um, Not that it was bad. It just didn't really intrigue me. I was on the fence. I thought the the combat looked great and the enemies looked cool. Um, But the... The level structure, I That's guess. That's what I didn't the like, way, yeah. What, that was kind of what I was like, eh. And I've been waiting. I've been like, eh, if it goes on sale really cheap, I might do it. But it never – it's never been quite cheap enough for me to want to get into it. Plus, it's like a long game apparently too. Like just even one playthrough can be 60, 70-hour range I guess. So I'm like, oof. And then you're always in between like a From title. So it's like do I want to dive into something that's similar or do I wait for the next From game? It's yeah, it's been like a weird thing for me. Right, <laughs> I, I should like it, but I just haven't taken the the risk yet. But yeah, I want to try this alpha out, so maybe that's what I need to push me over the edge, at least on the sequel, if nothing else. Yep, um, I'd be interested to see how the the character customization, like creation stuff, is interesting, uh, and the fact that you can like turn into a demon is cool. Um, yeah, that is it for episode one forty eight. If you can, please follow us on Twitter at CTRLINT. That's controlled interest abbreviated. We tweet out all of our video uploads. I am at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos. You can go to iTunes. Follow us there. Leave us a review. It helps us move up in the algorithm so people can see the podcast. On YouTube, you can search controlled interests. We'll pop up. Subscribe. Hit the bell notification so you know when we upload a new video because YouTube subscription boxes are all kinds of messed up. Like the videos too. That helps us in the YouTube algorithm. Um, that's pretty much it. We'll catch you guys next week with all of our pre-E3 goodness. See you later. Bye.